All right. Well, it's good to be here with you guys today on this kind of warm Sunday. Is that a disappointment to anybody? When you walked outside today, you were dressing for like a nice chilly fall Sunday and like, wait, when did summer come back? Why is summer here with us right now? But hey, regardless, it's good to see you. Like, I'm glad you're here. Forget the, forget the weather. I'm glad you're here with us today. We're in this message series on David. Um, you know, David's life, I feel like most of us, if you've been in church or you, you, you went to Sunday school growing up, you know a couple main stories about David. Uh, he killed a really tall guy named Goliath, and then he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and at some point he became king. That's about it, right? It's like, okay, that's, that's a solid life there. It's like you, you killed a giant, uh, you repented after you committed adultery. The, committing adultery is not the solid part. And then, and then you're, moving, you're moving forward and you become king and like, oh, that's good. But, but what I love about David is as you read through First and Second Samuel, which is where his life's recorded, there's actually all these small moments these little key moments that are a lot more relatable to my life than killing a giant, committing adultery, or becoming king. And these, and these small moments are the parts of David's life where we start to see how he really trusts in God when it's hard. And so I want to I focus us in on one of these small moments right now. I want to give you the context before I tell you where we're going today. After David kills Goliath, we, we talked last time about how he became best friends, entered a covenantal relationship with the prince the, the son of the king named Jonathan. He ends up, David ends up going to the king's court, living with King Saul. He ends up marrying King Saul's daughter, Michal. And then he leads King Saul's military. And he has amazing success, so much success that when he's coming back from battle, the, the women of the town would sing out, Saul has killed his thousands, the king has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. You can imagine that didn't go over very well with the king. And so, so eventually Saul gets so angry and so frustrated with this guy named David that he tries to kill him multiple times. Now, if a guy tries to kill me, just, just so you know, if you ever try to kill me, if you're thinking about it, you try to kill me once, I'm getting you out of my life. That's just kind of works. Like you throw a spear at me, which is what Saul did. You throw a spear at me once, I'm confiscating your spear. I'm probably getting you put in prison. And if I can't do that because you're king, I'm running away. But the first time, David sticks around. And it happens a couple other times. Eventually, David flees for his life. And in the process of fleeing, he ends up in front of the Philistines. Now, if you remember the story, right, the Philistines are the bad ones. The Philistines are, are the enemy. And he ends up in front of this king. Now, this king, when David shows up in front of him, is like, wait a second. I think this might be David, the guy that they say has killed tens of thousands of my guys. And so he's, he comes, he brings David in front of him. And David, probably one of the lowest points of his life, just acts like he's crazy. Literally says he starts drooling on himself. And acts like he's crazy. And the king's like, who's this drooling fool? Get him out of my presence. So David's on the run. He has to act like he's insane so he doesn't get killed. And that's where we pick him up today. Now, I don't know if that's relatable to your life, but I hope this next part is. 1 Samuel chapter 22, the first couple of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 22. So David has just run away from the Philistine king. He acted like he was crazy. He's on the run. And he says this, David left Gath, which is where the Philistine king was. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Now, the reason they would have done that is because Saul the king would have been trying to kill anyone connected with David. So it wasn't like all his brothers were like, yo, our brothers are living in a cave. Let's go live with him. All of his brothers were like, yo, the king's trying to take off our heads. So we're going to go be somewhere safe. So they all run there to be with David. Verse 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. Does that sound like anybody's friends? In distress, 
discontent and in debt. That sounds like a lot of my friends. And so the, all these people gathered together to David, and he became their commander. Now, what's interesting is the word here for commander in the Hebrew is sar. And sar can mean commander. It often can mean prince as well. So, so what we're told here about David is he goes from being all the big hot stuff he was with the king to now he is the prince of losers. He's, he's just like he's, he's in charge of a bunch of losers. This, this is his future. This is his life. And it says there are about 400 of these losers with him. I don't know if you guys have ever gone in your life from a time where everything's going really great to where it suddenly really stinks. My guess is if you live longer than a couple years, you probably have. Uh, I, was, I was in Philmont Scout Ranch one summer. Now, Philmont is like the place to go if you're a Boy Scout. I was a bo- proud Boy Scout. And so I went to Philmont, and I was there for two whole weeks backpacking around. Now, for a lot of you, that doesn't sound fun. To me, that was like, that was an amazing experience. And sometimes you'd come to these campsites, and they'd have special things set up. Like, hey, this is how people used to live back in the 1800s on the farm. And, hey, here's, you know, you can shoot old uh, black powder muskets. That was kind of cool. And this one was, hey, there's a, they have, like, Indian stuff, and there's a sweat lodge there. Now, a sweat lodge, for those of you who are uninitiated, is you go sit inside of this, this small little tent kind of thing where there's no, no airflow into it. And it sounds kind of like a torture. They have, they have these rocks at the center of it that are really hot because they've been in the fire. And then you throw water on it, and you just steam yourself out. And the whole time you're in the sweat lodge, you're thinking, this is miserable. It's just no fun to be sitting in this because you're just sweating out and sweating. It feels like you're in Mississippi in August, right? You're just, it's humid and hot and muggy, and you're feeling terrible about it, but you're sticking in because you're not going to be the first guy who quits. And there's always some idiot who's part of your group who just dumps the whole bucket of water on the rocks, and suddenly you're dying in there, and you're sweating like crazy. And you get out of the sweat lodge, and you think, those Indians were crazy. Why did they ever do this? And you get out, and then they dump a bucket of cold water on you. And that shocks your system. And then, let me tell you, one of the, I've just, I've never, I don't know if I've ever felt better than I did at that point. I did the sweat lodge, the cold water, and then something happens. I'm sure it's like a physiological, psychological thing, and you just feel like you're, you just feel amazing. I was just like walking on clouds in New Mexico in the mountains. I was just, I just felt so good. I like, these Indians have figured something out. I was thinking about actually just kind of quitting the Western life and going back to, you know, whatever Indians lived in the 1700s just to get a sweat lodge every day. It was an amazing feeling. And I remember going back to my campsite and the other guys were getting food ready and I was just laying down on a log. This is, that's how in touch with nature I was. Just laying down on a log thinking, life is beautiful. You ever thought that before? Life is good. Like everything's just how it needs to be. And suddenly out of nowhere, I swear, it was like 20 feet above my head, this enormous clap of thunder went off. Like one of those things where it's not like, oh, there's, there's rain's coming. It's like rain is here, Thor the God of Thunder's here, and he's about to tear you apart. And it was right over top of me, and I suddenly jump up, and out of nowhere, this freezing cold rain comes. And what you had to do when you were at Philmont is when lightning and thunder came, is you had to get down into what's called the lightning position. The lightning position, I'm going to demonstrate it for you right now, is miserable. you got to squat down. You gotta put your elbows on your knees, and then you gotta put your hands over your head. It's miserable. It's terrible. And we had to do that in the freezing rain for an hour. Now remember, we were getting ready for dinner, right? And dinner was being cooked. And suddenly dinner is filled with cold water, and we're in the lightning position, freezing our butts off, and I thought, life is ugly. Life is horrible. I hate life. I hate film on, I hate nature, I hate the Indians, I hate sweat lodges, I hate everything at this point. You ever been there in life? You go from life's amazing to life's horrible in the space of about 10 minutes? 
And sometimes life does that to us. And, and, and a lot of us have been in this place where life is good and now life is really hard. For some of us right now, we, we are, are in that place of life is really hard. Or we feel like we're falling down to this place of life is really hard. We, we had a relationship and it was the love of our life and suddenly that's gone. Maybe, maybe you were 20 and you were single and life was good because you were available and your future was in front of you. Now when you're 30 and single, you're like, hey, being single is not that great anymore. Maybe you went from loving your job and having your dream job, everything was going well with that, to suddenly it's all gone. Maybe you went from having the political future you thought you wanted, and suddenly that political future changed, and you're discouraged and depressed right now, and you think the world has ended. You've been on Facebook recently? That's like half of our nation right now. You're just totally discouraged by how everything's going. Uh, maybe you went from being successful, and there just wasn't anything you, you couldn't do that would just wouldn't work out. Everything you touched turned to gold, and suddenly everything you're trying now isn't working, professionally or maybe educationally or relationally. You go from everything's good to now everything is messed up. You go from being a place where you're mentally stable and you feel like you're growing in life to suddenly you're struggling and you're stagnant. So I don't know if you guys can relate, but I'm, I know there's been many times in my life where I've gone from life is good to life is really, really hard. And what this, this season is, is it's a dry season. It's, it's a wilderness. It's where life, it feels like you gotta, you got to fight for every inch you gain. And in times like these, there is a, there's a temptation to define your life by insufficiency, what you don't have, rather than embracing and cultivating what God has given you. David found himself going from being anointed king and being told at a very young age, you're going to be king of all of Israel. And then he kills Goliath. Solid start to a life, by the way. Getting anointed king and killing Goliath. That's a solid start. And then he becomes this amazing military commander who just can't fail. Everything he does is perfect. He gets to marry the king's daughter. Because he killed Goliath, his whole family doesn't have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives. That's the part of the story we don't talk about enough. That's amazing. I think I might fight a, fight a Goliath, so I don't have to do that. Like, he gets everything he wants. He's, he's golden boy. He's best friends with the crown prince of Israel. He's got everything in the world, and suddenly it all flips. Instead of leading Israel's finest people, suddenly he's surrounded by people who are in debt, discontented, and in distress. And that's where he finds himself. And now he's running for his life. The king wants to kill him. He's living in a cave. I don't know if you guys have ever lived in a cave before. I haven't, by the way, but, if, but if, I would imagine living in a cave feels a lot worse than living in a palace. And this, this is where David finds himself. And in times like these, and I, I want you to hear this, if someone's in a time like this where it's a dry season, it's hard, relationally it's hard, in life it's hard, financially it's hard, I want you to hear this. Comparison kills contentment. And, and when you look around and start comparing yourself to others, it's going to kill the contentment God wants you to have. But here's something else you can do. You can compare your life right now to what your life was two years ago or two months ago or two weeks ago. And that comparison to your past self can kill the contentment God wants you to have in the moment where you are. Comparison kills contentment. And so many of us, when we hit this dry season, we default to comparison. We default to looking at what was or what could have been or what should have been or what other people have. And in our dry season, we get frustrated. Often we get resentful towards other people and towards God. 
David found himself in this place. Now, now we don't get all the emotional what's going on behind the scenes, but what we see is he goes from having everything to having really not that much, surrounded by 400 guys who are losers. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you guys have read it. It's a strange book. It's a book uh, that's, that's from, it's, it's a series of letters written from a demon named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood. Now, that sounds like a strange book. It's as strange as you would imagine. And it's, it's this demon, he's a head demon, Screwtape, who's writing to his lesser demon nephew, Wormwood, and telling him how to deceive this Christian. Really a strange book. But in the book, there's a lot of insight, and this is what Screwtape writes to Wormwood in one of the letters. And the he in this is God. So if this is the enemy or he, it's, that's God. So he, that's God, will set these Christians off with communications of his presence, which though faint, seem great to them, and with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation. In other words, when you become a Christian, God gives you all these things. But he never allows the state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later, he withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creatures to stand on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It's during those trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Did you hear that? This isn't scripture. This, this is insight into how we work. During, during the trough periods of our life, when we, when we have to do things just out of love for God and obedience to him, it's during those trough periods where God really is able to work in our lives. He goes on in the letter. Hence the prayers offered in this state of dryness are those which please him best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take his hand away. If only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Now here, here's where it all comes together. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and he still obeys. When you're looking at your life and you can't see God and it's dry and it's hard and it's frustrating and it's going wrong and you don't understand why. When you look at all of that and you still intend to do the will of God and you still obey no matter what, that is when you will draw closest to God. In those hard times, in the challenging times, David found himself in those challenging times, and he could have given up. David could have said, well, I had a nice run. They're going to write about me in the Bible someday. I did some good stuff. I can just be content with that. But he didn't. David could have gone back and said, I'm going to go back to be a shepherd. I'm going to go back with the sheep. I'm going to go back to a life of mediocrity. I'm going to embrace this identity as the prince of losers, and we're just going to build the best loser group we can. But he didn't. David could have said, I'm a one-hit wonder. I killed Goliath. It's all good. But he didn't. What does David do? If you flip, it's probably on the same page in your Bible. Maybe flip a page ahead to 1 Samuel 23. Now, David is still in the same place. He's still on the run. All right, This, this is the same part of the story. David's still on the run from Saul, still in the cave of Adullam. He's actually shifted a little bit from there, but he's still in this period of time. And it says this, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against uh, this city called Kala and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? 
In other words, David is out here, and he hears this report that the Philistines, their enemy, are coming and taking the food away from this town, so this town's going to starve. Back in Israel at this time, you didn't have a lot of extra food. You couldn't just get a new shipment of food into Kroger. You needed every bit you had. And so if this food's being stolen by the Philistines, they're going, these people are going to die. And so David goes to the Lord, and this is what I love. This is the first time in the story of David where we see David going to the Lord and asking him what he should do. This is the first time David inquires of the Lord. When Goliath was there, David was just like, yo, there's Goliath. He's doing what he shouldn't do. I'm going to kill him. And that was that. Other times, David just goes out and just does, does the military uh, adventures that he needed to do. That was, that was it. This is the first time the Bible tells us that David inquires of the Lord. And I think the reason why is because David has experienced failure. David has experienced failure, and so the confidence he had before of just, I'm going to fight Goliath, suddenly that's gone. The, the confidence he had before of, I can do this, I can overcome whatever's in front of me, suddenly that confidence is gone, and he has to go to the Lord and say, Lord, should I even do this? I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have ever had an injury while working out. Anybody ever had it worked out, dancing, anything else had an injury? And a lot of us have, have, have injured ourselves multiple times. But some of us have had that big injury. You know the one I'm talking about where you blew out your knee and you were done with your football career, where, where you hurt your back and you were never able to do the sport again. My big injury was when I was about 13 years old, and I was squatting. Now, I wasn't squatting that much at 13, but for some reason, when I went down this one time, it was my third set of squats. It was like my 11th rep out of 12. I was almost done, and I went down for this, this rep, and something internally just kind of popped. Uh, I can't really totally describe it, all I know is I was on the ground. My brother, thankfully, had seven American powerlifting records, pulled the bar off me so it didn't crush me. Um, this is a part that I haven't really been confident enough in my life to share until this point, but here I am. I pooped myself uh, in, that, in that experience, and that's the, probably the nicest way of saying it. And so I'm on the ground. Uh, something popped inside of me, and there's no one there to change my diaper. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's where I'm at. You don't want to talk about a low point in life? That's, that's, that's about it right there. Uh, it took me a long time to recover from that emotionally and confidence and other things. But eventually I did, came back from that. And, and so I'm squatting again these days. I'm still squatting. But let me tell you what. Every time I get under the bar to this day, there is something in the back of my head which says, watch out. Did you put on your adult diaper today? Be careful, because that can happen again. What if you guys, if you've had an injury, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Every time you try to go back, you're, you're thinking, ah, this, this will probably work out, because this worked out. I've, I've logged thousands of reps since then. But this could be the one. I'm just aware of it. That's all I'm saying. I'm just very aware of that experience 14 years ago. I'm very aware of it now. Often in life, when we have gone through something that takes us very low in our lives, our confidence is shaken. And we reach this point where we can try to do what we did before, but often we, we don't have confidence that will work out. And this often in our lives is the grace of God to bring us low where we have to rely on him because we don't know if we can trust ourselves anymore. And, and the, the irony of all of this is that trusting ourselves was never the way to go in the first place. But we just felt like it was because we were successful. We felt like relying on our capacity was good because it had worked out in the past. And God has to bring us to this place where we have no other option other than give up or trust him 
rely on him. And so David, at this point, knows his limitation in a new way. He's been brought low, and so he starts with God. He goes to God first. And he says, God, should I go fight these Philistines? He's done it tons before. But he says, God, should I fight these Philistines? And the Lord answered him, the Bible says, go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. But David's men, verse 3, said to him, here in Judah we're afraid. How much more if we go to Caleb against the Philistine forces? In other words, if we're already scared of our lives from the King Saul, who's our king, uh, why would we go out and try to fight some other Philistines? And once again, David goes back to the Lord. Because David's really double-checking. He's triple-checking here. Does God really want us to do this? And the Lord answered him, Go down to Caleb, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men, remember, he's got these 400 people who are in debt, who are in distress, who are discontent. He takes these men, he goes to Caleb, he fights the Philistines, the Bible says. He carries off their livestock. He inflicts heavy losses on the Philistines, and he saves the people of Caleb. Now, he's, he's operating out of his limitation, out of his insufficiency. He doesn't have great military might to go do this, but he relies on God. He follows what God has said, and God gives him success. When you go through a dry season, and if you're here, if you're in a dry season right now, listen to this. When you go through a dry season, it is an opportunity from God to learn to rely on him in a new and deeper way. And it's hard in the middle of it because you don't see it that way. You see it as this is just a dry, hard season. This is not, things aren't going the way I want. But when you're going through the dry season, it's an opportunity to rely on God in a new and deeper way. More than that, it's an opportunity to cultivate the people around you. David had these losers, but he cultivates them into a fighting force. He cultivates them and, and uses them in ways that honor God. So when you're going through a dry season... Rely on God, cultivate what little God has given you, and he will bring blessing. And what you cultivate in your dry season becomes your greatest strength. My favorite part about this story is a part that you don't see here at all. You have to flip in your Bibles all the way, all the way to 2 Samuel 23, very end of David's life. And I don't know if you remember this part of David's life, but he had these mighty men. He had all these guys that were like his special forces. These were just amazing guys. And it recounts some of what they did. They killed hundreds of guys at a time. They fought lions with their bare hands, that kind of stuff. And there are, there are 30 of these guys. And then there's a special group called the three. The three. What is interesting about the three, these are the three mightiest of the men. These are just the, the biggest, baddest dudes out there that were part of his fighting force. It tells us in 2 Samuel 23 that they came to David when he was at the cave of Adullam. When David was at his lowest, these guys came, who my guess is weren't the mightiest of men at the time. But because David cultivated what little God had given him, God brought amazing strength into his life. Because David was willing when he had nothing to cultivate what little God had given him, God brought these guys who were his legacy, these mighty, mighty men. Some of us right now are in a dry season. Or if you're not, you will be before too long. And, and you got to look around. Instead of looking around and seeing the insufficiency and the lack in your life, look around and see what God has given you. Rely on God and then cultivate what it is. So maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're going through a hard friendship right now. And, and you and this friend have been friends for a long time, and, and now there's some separation there, and it's really hard, and you're not sure what to do. Cultivate that person. Cultivate them, because when you're past the dry season, that person can become your greatest strength. If you're going through a time of financial difficulty right now, cultivate a spirit and a heart of generosity so that when God brings more financial success into your life, you will be able to be generous and honor him with what he's given you. 
If you're going through a hard time professionally, you're going through a hard time at your job, cultivate the people around you. Cultivate the job he has given you. And then when you come out of that dry season, you will see how what you cultivated in that time has become your greatest strength. Most of all, cultivate a reliance on God. These, these last five years for me have been the five hardest years of my life, which is to be expected. That's kind of the five years I went from getting out of college to being kind of in the middle of my early adulthood. But every year for me has gotten harder and harder. This year was harder than last, which was harder than the year before, which was harder than the year before. And a good portion of these last five years have been dry seasons. Now, it hasn't been a single dry season. It's been a dry season that I get through. Life looks up again, and then another dry season. And it's been up and down. I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but this is very much where I've been for the last five years. And it has been hard. It's just been challenging to try to keep doing what the Lord has called me to do and staying focused on him and making sure I'm staying focused on him in relationships and in how I'm managing my professional career and how I'm doing my finances and how I'm, I'm serving him and, and trying to keep all that in, in place. Some of you can relate to this. You know, you, you're going through some hard times. And, and what I've realized across the last five years of, of going through these, these troughs in my life, of these challenging and dry seasons, is that when I have been able to cultivate in my own heart, a reliance on God in those dry seasons. When I come out of the dry season, I've progressed so much further with him. When I've been able to, when it's, when it's really hard, try to put him first to the best of my ability and mess up along the way, that when I come out of that dry season, he's progressed me as a person. When I try to focus on putting him first and honoring relationships in my life, and I do that even when it's hard and it feels like this isn't benefiting me in, even, in any way. When I do that, when I come out of that time, I realize that God has given me amazing friendships that are pouring into me. Going through dry seasons is part of life. And the only way you're going to get through this life and be strong with the Lord is if you realize in the dry season, I'm going to cultivate what he has given me. I'm going to rely on God and what he wants during this time. I'm not going to rely on the false confidence I had before. I'm going to rely on who God is and what he has done. I'm going to trust his will and his way, and I'm going to follow him. If right now you're in a dry time, I want to challenge you to do two things. The first thing is just to talk to God about how dry you are right now. A lot of times, for some reason, when we're going through a hard time, we don't tell God. Now, God knows, but there's something in the relationship that needs to happen of you just saying, God, this is really hard. I'm struggling, but I'm trusting you. I'm struggling, and I need you. I'm struggling, but I'm putting you first. Then here's the second thing, and this, this is really the key to growing during a dry time. Obey God no matter the cost. Obey God where it costs you most. If the Bible says to do something and everything inside of you because you're in a dry time doesn't want to do it, do it anyway. If God speaks to your heart through the Holy Spirit and says, I want you to give this thing up or I want you to start doing this thing, and it's going to cost you, and it's going to be hard, and you're in a dry season, you say, God, I can't right now. Do it anyway. And it's going to be in putting God first, like David did. David came back multiple times and said, God, do you really want me to do this? Do you really want me to go save this city? That's going to be hard. My guys around me don't want to do it. Do you really want me to do it? And God said, do it. What did David do? He went and saved the city. And that built something in him and in his men that set him on a trajectory. Right now, God has put you in a place where he wants you to obey him no matter the cost. If you're in a dry season right now, when you obey God, when you put him first, when you serve him, even when it costs you, 
when you come out of that dry time, you're going to see how much he grew you, how much he was working for you, even in the dry time. Now, you may be thinking right now, some of you are going through a lot. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but in a group like this, we've got people going through stuff, and you're thinking, but my dry season's different. Can I tell you what? It's not different. It's not. It's, it's maybe it's unique to you what you're going through, but, but the principle still applies in a dry season, in a hard time. Trust God, put him first, obey him even when it costs you, and God's going to pull you through the dry season. What encourages me in all of this is that when we look to Jesus, our Savior and our King, he went through a dry season as well. Now, we don't know how long this dry season lasted. We know it lasted at least for a day. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he did not want to follow the Lord's will. It was right before he was arrested, and then he was going to be crucified. He did not want to die. In fact, he tells the Lord, he says, Lord, if you take it away, please do it. I don't want this. But then he says, not what, you, not what I will, but what you will. Not my way, God, but your way. And Jesus was in a dry season. He goes to the cross. He's in a dry season. He's on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he follows the Father to the end, and he's glorified. He's lifted up because of it. Right now, you need to follow Jesus. Not in some trite way. I follow Jesus. I love him. I follow him. You need to follow Jesus in this, saying not my will, God, but your will. I'm going to do what you want no matter what. And that is going to be the key to pulling you through this dry season. So I want to wrap up by praying over you today, especially for those of us who are in or entering into a dry season, that the Lord would not only bless you and be with you and remind you of his goodness, but that he would give you the strength to obey him no matter the cost. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. Apart from you, we have, we have nothing. Apart from you, we're struggling. Apart from you, uh, we're going to find the, the end of ourselves so quickly. And Lord, I know that many of us are in dry seasons. 2020, in many ways, for our nation and world has felt like a dry season. We're in a dry season. We're struggling. And we need you. So Father, through your spirit right now, for those of us who are gathered in this room and those of us who are gathered on Facebook watching this, would you encounter us right where we are? Would you encounter us with your peace and your goodness, with your love, with your grace? Would you encounter us with your very presence, which drives away all fear, drives away all doubt, drives away all uncertainty, but just simply reminds us we are yours and you have given us a future. Jesus, would you be with us right now? As we remain in prayer, is there anyone who'd be willing to say, just raise a hand, and just, just show externally to God and then to me right now, I'm going through a dry season. I've got a dry season right now. We've got some hands up. Who else say that's me? Lots of hands. Who else say that's me? Father, for my brothers, for my sisters who have raised hands right now. Lord, you see them, and more than that, you see where they are. You tell us in the book of Exodus that when the people of Israel cried out in captivity in Egypt, that you looked down and you heard their cries and that you knew. You understood what they were going through, and you were already at work to bring them deliverance. Jesus, would you look down and know the dry parts, the hard parts of our lives, where we're struggling, where we're suffering, where there's not enough, where we feel isolated and alone. Lord, would you know us there? And would you come and deliver us? Lord, I pray for deliverance from these dry places, but not before we have learned to rely on you. 
there's a lesson you want to teach us, something you want to drive deeper into us, do that right now. And Jesus, I'm, I'm just going to say for myself, and I think for others who are in dry seasons right now, we're going to do your will. Lord, even if this dry season lasts for the rest of our lives, we are going to do your will because we want your will before our own. Jesus, would you build that into us? And as we do your will, would you change our situation, change our circumstance, change our hearts into what you want? We offer ourselves to you, Jesus. You're our only hope, so we are relying fully on you. We pray this in your name, Jesus.